0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, where music and culture ignite. I'm Professor Floros, and today I'm going to outline the foreign policy positions of the six candidates who have qualified thus far for the December Democratic Party debate. Plus, if I have time, one extra candidate that I kind of like. I'm also joined today by communications senior Michael John, a UIC radio DJ, and he is going to help me talk about foreign policy. So let's get started in the Politics Classroom on Tuesday, November 26, 2019. We're back in the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, streaming live on radio.uic.edu. I'm Professor Floros, and you can reach me on Twitter at Dr. Floros. With me today, I have Michael Jean, a senior here at UIC, who is majoring in communications. Thanks for coming on the show with me.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Are you do you have general interest in either electoral politics or foreign policy? Both. Okay, great. <laughs> Perfect person to be in the studio with me then. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so in my day job as a political science professor, my area of focus is on international relations and US foreign policy. Okay. So when presidential election season comes around, I'm always really curious about the foreign policy positions of the candidates. Mm-hmm. And I tell my students that the foreign policy decisions of the United States have consequences far beyond our shores. And I spoke about this on my show a couple of weeks ago as well. So while foreign policy is usually not the most important issue facing voters, I think it's critical that voters know what their preferred candidate plans to do with the U.S. military, Mm -hmm. the economic and diplomatic might of the country. The people who are affected, millions and perhaps billions of people around the world who are affected by U.S. foreign policy decisions don't get a vote. This is true. And I have always felt that it's our responsibility to take into account what U.S. foreign policy might do to them when we ourselves are in the voting box. Mm -hmm. So does that sound crazy or putting too much pressure on American voters?
1: I don't think so, especially because the United States is such a powerhouse, right? I'm from Ghana and okay. even when the elections are going on right now, I know that my family back home is looking at okay, who are these people that are going to be put into the presidency? Okay. Especially when Donald Trump was elected. Okay. That was a big story back home as well. Okay. Um
0: has has the US done anything let's go from the Trump administration and then maybe we could go further back that had real serious impacts on the daily lives of Gahanians?
1: For oh we're Ghanaians.
0: Ghanaians? Um, what is a ghanian anything
1: I don't, i'm i not sure because the way we uh pronounce Ghana is like Ghanaian. and then uh, there's ghanese too so they might uh, be similar um
0: say it again Ganan?
1: ghanian ghanian just be aggressive with it and hit oh, it hard hit it hard ghanian there it is
0: okay i will i'm gonna write this down for oh, future saucy, reference saucy.
1: And so the question was, has the U.S. done anything that's impacted Ghana, or
0: specifically in the Trump administration? I mean, so people are really interested. So ha- has, or maybe just go back even further. You know, are there actions that the U.S. have taken that have really impacted the lives of, of people in Ghana?
1: I wouldn't be able to speak on the public policy, of the policy on that specifically. Okay. But I do know that the influence of just like a big name coming to Ghana was a thing. You uh, can look back when George Bush was president.
0: Okay. And Which one?
1: Oh, second. Okay. <laughs> the the son.
0: Bush 43. Yes. Okay.
1: And when he came to Ghana, I remember that it was televised everywhere. Right? Really? Because again, this is, the United States is a big name. Yeah. And people recognize that name like that mm-hmm. especially if you go back home and i have a, an american passport people are like oh he's american let's sh-. there's that feeling of like i'm being treated better Ooh, it is it's a thing yeah um but the influence that the u.s has is very large
0: mm-hmm. and did again, obama go to ghana
1: obama did go to ghana we okay. have a highway named after obama oh, wow. and <laughs> george bush so that's what i'm saying yeah because of their visit to ghana and even when the royal family comes from England and visits Ghana, sure. people, there's a big deal about it because you're like, it's acknowledging that Ghana is its own state, mm-hmm. and that we are a country of importance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with Trump...
0: <laughs> he hasn't been to Ghana.
1: I don't know. He has
0: <laughs> not. <laughs> has he been to... I don't think he's been to Africa at all.
1: I'm not too sure about that yeah, one. okay. But with Trump, I know that people realize that he's not the brightest. <laughs> and... Th- there's not really much respect for him. So, mm. And that,
0: is that bad for the view of America? I mean, do 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 people think about America differently based on their impressions of the president?
1: Yes, mm. especially when I was speaking with my, go- my cousins when I visited back. There's a lot of negative connotation when mm-hmm. you mention Trump and the United States mm. because, again, that is the face of the country, right? Sure. And when you have someone like that that is leading the nation people think oh wow you ha- had someone like obama who had this poise you had someone like uh, obama who could speak with such great diction and with such authority and with such confidence and was doing i wouldn't say that he was a bad president but he's not the best oh, oh, trump. oh trump trump yeah trump. <laughs> i thought you were still talking about obama oh, no. like, we, we love obama
0: okay okay Okay, well, so there you go. So I I have every, uh, when I tell my students that this matters to people around the world, that is now, I now have a a firm story to back up that uh, that assertion. It's an image thing. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to, I want to talk about, so six Democratic candidates have Mm -hmm. already qualified for the December debate, which will be on Thursday, December 19th. They had to meet a higher polling standard among accepted polls Mm -hmm. and have, a larger number of individual donors in multiple states. So now th- we're gonna get a winnowing of the crowd as these as the criteria to qualify for the debate gets harder, we're gonna have fewer and fewer fewer people. So six have qualified so far. A couple are on the cusp of qualifying, but I, I figured we'd we just look at the six who are who are qualified because okay. that suggests that they have the larger amount of support throughout the country. Mm-hmm okay so i decided to go in reverse no well in age order from youngest to oldest okay and i did that because they always go in alphabetical order and i don't like that (laughs) and i guess i'm i'm being i don't know i just like so would you prefer the age order it, as being listed, I think they should mix it up. I think okay. sh- they should do reverse alphabetical order. I think they should go youngest to oldest, then oldest to youngest. Okay. I, th- I just think that by doing it in, in alphabetical order, you have people at the top of the list, just a list. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's a negative effect at people at the bottom of the list. Right? People say in school, like in, in elementary schools, you usually get seated by your name, yeah. right? And that if you're at the end of the alphabet, you end up sitting in the back of the class. And that's not necessarily, you know, the best place to sit for learning. Okay. And so, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't necessarily want to send people to the back of the class just because their last names and uh, later in the alphabet. Okay. So that was, that's what I picked. That's what I'm doing. For sure. Come along with me. All sure. So the youngest candidate of the six to qualify and actually the youngest candidate in the race is Mayor... Pete Buttigieg. He was born in 1982. And I looked that not a single candidate who's in the running was born in the 1970s. -hmm. I was born in the 1970s. So I think I need to run for president (laughs) just to represent the 70s. Okay. Okay. So Mayor Pete got his bachelor's degree in history and literature from Harvard University in 2004. He won a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford University. Those were very hard. Yep. Where he got a master's degree in philosophy, politics, and economics. I'm not sure how that's possible, but okay. <laughs> you know that uh, UIC had two Rhodes finalists. Really? Uh, they didn't act- end up actually winning the scholarships, but ah. they got to the very last phase. So okay. go UIC. Yeah.
1: I actually met a Rhodes Scholar. Oh, did you? Because I went to Indiana my first year, and during that year, they had a Rhodes Scholar. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I wish I could say I was a Rhodes Scholar and you've met me, but I, <laughs> I, I am not. Okay, so after he came back from Oxford, he worked for an international consulting group and then enlisted in the U.S. Navy in 2007. And what I think is really funny about that is he was act, he was campaigning for Obama uh-huh. when he decided to join the Navy. So I don't know what that says about his support of Obama or what life as a, on a campaign is like that joining the Navy was better than continuing with the campaign. (laughs) Okay. While he was in the Navy, he became a naval intelligence officer, and he served in the U.S. Navy Reserves from 2009 to 2017. Uh, He became the mayor of South South Bend, Bend,
1: Indiana Indiana
0: in 2012, and he remains the mayor and will be mayor until January of 2020, regardless of whether he wins the presidency or not. And fun fact, because he was serving in the reserves, his unit actually got called up and he deployed for Afghanistan, deployed to Afghanistan for seven months in 2014 while he was the mayor of South Bend. So he took a leave from being mayor for seven months to go serve in Afghanistan. Okay, And so this his military experience is kind of his main the main point that he uses to show that he's capable of being the commander-in-chief okay. um, because he served in the military and he knows what's, what that's like, I guess. Saying that's his leadership? Yes. Okay. Okay, so here are some of... Uh, he gave a major foreign policy speech in June of 2019, and here are some of the things that he talked about in that speech. So he wants to repeal and replace the 2001 congressional authorization that gave the U.S., military the ability to go after those who are responsible for 9-11 okay so that was passed on September 14th 2001 but it is still in effect Mm -hmm. and so most of the war on terror is being carried out under this authorization right 2001 was a long time ago and so a lot of people are saying you know what that was too broad it was too open-ended we should repeal that authorization and pass another narrower version So that the war on terrorism is just not out of control.
1: So it's just concentrated on one area
0: or or specific groups. okay, Or because right now it's just like, you know, if you have if if anybody has any connection to the original Al Qaeda Uh ideological or whatever, then They pull out the 2001 authorization. And they say this is what justifies us us going going after you. Okay. Yeah. So he's saying we got to repeal it, but replace it with a one that has like an end date, right? Because the 2001 is open-ended. We could still be going into conflict in, you know, 2083 on this authorization. It never runs out, right? So pass something that, you know, has an expiration date that maybe is a little bit more narrowly
1: is just more defined than Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's what he wants to do in order to narrow the scope of the president's authority to use military force around the world.
1: So he's trying to limit himself and limit.
0: Supposedly. Right. And you know what I think is interesting about a lot of these candidates. A lot of these candidates are suggesting policy. Well, a lot of policies are going to have to go through Congress anyway that's on true. domestic policy, foreign policy. But this repealing and replacing is 100% Congress, right? They have to first repeal it, and then they have – you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think it's funny that they're basically laying out Congress's agenda uh, as well as their own. Okay.
1: I, I think that's a big part of the president, like president, presidential election is that you have to really sell yourself. and like, this is what I want to get done. Right. You don't have to do, – no, quote, unquote, you don't have to do it, right? But well, there's still
0: no wall on the southern border, and that doesn't seem to be uh, dampening – uh, support for trump among his base
1: yeah it's all about for me how i see it is all about how can you talk the talk right how can you present yourself say like oh this is what i can do it's not necessarily that i'm going to do it yeah but i can do this
0: well you know that's really interesting um because there's different ways to think about this uh-huh. one is that you want so, okay, so one, one way is thinking we need someone with big ideas, someone yeah. who has a vision that is going to you know rejuvenate America mm-hmm. and all the good stuff, right? The other view is we need to be pragmatic about what is possible. okay. And I I kind of struggle between those two because I know that the big dreams are not pragmatic. But I also have gotten frustrated over time with this idea of if you only propose what is possible, mm-hmm. you're likely to get something less than that, right? Because yeah. you know you say, I want this, and there's always gonna have to be compromise and you'll get less. So why not ask for more? And then if you get less, Maybe. it still might be more than the pragmatic thought.
1: I, 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 I appreciate that better. Than just saying that oh I can do whatever but not going and actually pursuing whatever that you're proposing right yeah that if you dream big enough and say oh this is what I really want to propose like I'm trying to think of an example. What whatever you're, you're you're thinking of for as a presidential candidate saying that oh I really want this country to change let's say something dumb like the candy laws or whatever, <laughs> right. And you say, "Hey,
0: oh, uh, what's his name is now in the race? Bloomberg. He might change candy laws, uh, right? The mayor New <laughs> He's York. coming after this your big gulf. This man.
1: This <laughs> All right,
0: we're not, we're not we're getting too far out, out of field. But so anyhow, so so Buttigieg, I think, is more on the let's only propose what's pragmatic. Mm. Um, some of the other folks, Sanders, Warren, are more the like let's the dream big. Yeah. Okay. I,
1: I mess with that more
0: you you're down with that
1: yeah because then you they real i think they do realize like oh i'm not gonna get this thing of course you're not gonna say that out loud right sure it's an image thing yeah but they know i think they've been in in power for a long time they know oh how can we sell ourselves as presidential candidates yeah
0: all right so more things that mayor pete stands for he wants to recommit the u.s to the iran nuclear deal he wants to withhold some, not all, of U.S. taxpayer money from Israel mm-hmm. if it annexes parts of the West Bank. It uh, He wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and increase investment in renewable technologies to reverse environmental degradation. Sure. Okay. Those are his main points. Yeah. Okay.
1: This man sounds wholesome.
0: He's, yes, very Midwestern charm. Okay. <laughs> The next youngest mm-hmm. is Kamala Harris. She was born in 1964.
1: I mean, aunt Kamala Harris? Have you even seen those? What's that? People have been calling her Auntie Kamala Harris or Why? aunt. It's just her image thing. It's like she's a- um, Because
0: she doesn't have kids?
1: No, it's like, the <laughs> it's like the cool aunt joke, you know? Okay. She's the cool aunt.
0: All right. Well, I hope that I'm a cool aunt, but- <laughs> okay anyhow so Kamala got a bachelor's degree in political science and economics from Howard University Mm -hmm. in 1986 she got her JD her law degree in 1989 from the University of California Hastings College of Law in San Francisco she worked as a prosecutor in San Francisco before becoming the San Francisco Attorney General and she served in that role from 2004 to 2011 She was then elected to be the Attorney General of California, where she served from 2011 to 2017, and she was elected in 2016, took office in 2017 um, to represent California in the U.S. Senate, where she is today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so her main policy positions include investing in America's critical relationships and alliances, such as NATO, the United Nations, World Trade Organization and with key partners like Japan India Mexico and Korea and she thinks the US is most effective in the world when it's working in coordination with its friends and allies
1: so I have beef with NATO and a lot of NGOs
0: okay well NATO and, and NGO are not the same thing okay so NATO is an intergovernmental organization uh-huh. which is so the uh, the members of it are states Mm-hmm. An NGO is a non-governmental organization, and so the members of the NGO are people, individuals.
1: So there's there's separation there then. Yes. Okay. So so
0: NATO, when NATO gets together and makes decisions, it's all people representing uh, countries. Okay. And when NGOs get together, they are, you know, basically doing what their donors want them to do and what the mission statement of their organization is.
1: Okay. With the World Bank count as an NGO then? No, the World Bank is is, inter- is
0: like NATO. It's an inter- it's I call it an I.O., some people call it an IGO, an intergovernmental organization. Okay. So so NATO, World Bank, IMF, the UN, mm. the African Union, um, ECOWAS, these are intergovernmental organizations. Okay. Things like Amnesty International, Doctors Without Borders. Uh American Red Cross, those are NGOs. Okay. Okay, so which is your beef with?
1: NGOs. NGOs. Okay. NGOs. <laughs> my whole thing is the authority, right? It's like who's like who's in charge? Like mm. who's really in charge. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's all my beef on it.
0: Okay. Maybe we'll will we'll we'll have another show next semester where we can go into that. That's not, cause that sounds interesting. All right. So you know, work work better with our friends and allies engage be engaged in the world so she doesn't want to withdraw from the world she wants to be engaged in the world
1: okay it's all about globalism you know
0: yeah she wants to re-enter the paris climate agreement and make climate cooperation a key diplomatic priority for the united states
1: it's a a sensible choice you know
0: (laughs) okay and she believes that values should form the center of u.s foreign policy and these values include thoughtfulness and measured leadership the use of diplomacy and development in addition to defense, a commitment to human rights and pursuing peace, and respect for our veterans and service members. Okay.
1: The first one, thoughtfulness?
0: I think that's part of it's thought, basically thoughtful and measured leadership. So, so don't uh, just make a decision sitting on the toilet one day. Oh, is that a I tr- think that's <laughs> the thoughtful and measured part. Okay. A lot, you know, this is funny. So all this, uh, this information I'm getting off of their campaign websites, And it is, and I, you know, cut out a lot of the editorializing. But, you know, a lot of this stuff is in, obviously, in direct response to things that Trump has done. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so more Kamala Harris. She wants to end the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and long military engagement in places like Syria, but do these responsibly and not precipitously or just decide one day we're going to leave and then leave immediately right mm. so end the wars but be responsible about how we end them
1: so get you no know, suggestions from the people around you not just making it a decision yourself
0: right uh-huh. well that's about process uh-huh. if you have an opening in your schedule i teach american <laughs> foreign policy in the spring semester paul's 281 <laughs> tuesday and thursdays from 11 to 12 15 plug and uh you know, this is the kind of the thing that we talk about. Okay. You know, there is. Over time, there's been established kind of uh, best practices for decision making. Mm-hmm. And the current president has thrown all of those out the window, Okay, does not follow any of the practices that his predecessors have. And that's why a lot of people are, are really concerned. It, it's not just that. You know, you can have a really good process and come out with a bad ending, Mm -hmm. but usually if you have a bad process, you're almost guaranteed a bad ending, right? And yeah, without talking to allies, without talking to the people that you have put in their jobs to advise you, you know, that...
1: It's like it's unprecedented behavior.
0: It is, and foreign policy folks get very nervous about it
1: Are they just rolling around just squirming yes
0: <laughs> you know a large contingent of the never Trumpers were part of the the foreign policy establishment that's why he has such a hard time like filling posts in the State Department and the Defense Department no is on. because the typical people who would serve in Republican administration Republican administrations like signed their let their name to a never Trump so declaration n- so
1: they'll never work with him or never work in his cabinet
0: well, they said he should never be president. So oh. this goes before the election. And so he and that's what he keeps talking about. All these people who are um, testifying at the impeachment inquiry mm-hmm. that. That they're never Trumpers. That's kind of the title for people who have been against him since From before the, okay. the election. Oh, yeah. that's
1: interesting. I never knew about that. Yeah,
0: but so a lot of people who have typically served in Republican in the foreign policy part of Republican administrations were made up a large group of these people oh. who said this guy should never be president. And so he's never going to hire them. So all the people with experience... Are saying no... Well, they're not even being asked because oh. they said this guy shouldn't have been president in the first place. Wow. And they, may, they, prob- they maybe they would say no because they, they don't think he should be president. Okay, more Kamala and then we're going to take a break. So Sorry. she she wants to reinvigorate the diplomatic corps in the State Department. She has an unshakable support for Israel, but she thinks that, that uh, the world needs to work toward a two-state solution. So I'm not quite sure how those two things... And unshakable support and the two-state solution work very well. Because there's deep beef. Deep beef. There's historic... Well, not only only that, though, but the thing is, is that, you know, Israel's in the power position. And the only person who can probably, quote-unquote, force an Israeli government to open serious negotiations with the Palestinians is the American president and not this, but an American president. Right. And, and maybe not even that, that might be out the window. And so, you know, and this is what Obama started to do. He started to like, there was a vote in the general assembly that the United States didn't block. And that was seen as this great betrayal, but it was a, it was condemning settlements. You know, but Obama, I think, was trying to send the message like you cannot get away with everything. Mm. We are not going to stand for this. And then time ran out the clock. Time ran off the clock before anything else could happen. You know, but I think some people are coming around to thinking that. You know, an American president needs to use carrots and sticks with Israel if there's any hope for there to be a a two state solution.
1: I I find it interesting that you say that because. It always feels like America is bunting into like another country's business, right?
0: <laughs> there is so, a history of that.
1: Yeah. I don't know, I have some frustrations with that as well, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because that means that it, it appears that America has something to gain, right? Mm-hmm. And those intentions might always be the best interest for both parties.
0: Well, you know what? I'm, so I work on um, Civil War peace negotiations mm-hmm. in my research. And one of the things that the literature has found is that having a mediator who is biased towards one side can actually help with negotiations, right? Because, okay, so in this instance, if the United States tends to be on Israel's side, right? So you would think the bias would be towards Israel. Mm -hmm. If the United States says... You know, hey, Israel, you need to make this concession to the Palestinians. Okay. The fact that the United States is on Israel's side, it makes that request stronger oh, right okay. you're on our side and you think we need to do this maybe we should do it's this them that credibility. yeah and and on the Palestinian side like they know the United States is more on Israel side and so if the United States is saying Something they like need to do this then that can help the Palestinians say okay like this is a serious thing here mm-hmm. so uh, that's not necessarily the case in in every negotiation yeah. but I don't think bias by itself is problematic you know and these, the the two sides so far have been unable to sort it out themselves. This is true. So if the United States, again, can use carrots and sticks to do it, then it's it. worth a shot. Although okay. every president has tried it since Carter. It's been a minute. It's, yeah. Okay. Uh, last thing about Kamala, she wants to stop Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. Okay. All right. So let's take a quick break. Okay. okay. And We will come back and talk about more Democratic presidential candidates. For sure. This is Professor Floros with Michael John in the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, where music and culture ignite. I want to welcome you back to the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio streaming live on radio.uic.edu. I'm Professor Floros, and I'm here with Michael Jean. Hello. Who is a senior and communications major. We are talking about the foreign policy positions of leading Democratic presidential candidates. We've already spoken about Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris. They are two of the six candidates who have qualified so far for the next debate, which will be held on Thursday, December 19th. I'm presenting the candidates, youngest to oldest, so the next Youngest is Amy
1: Klobuchar. Who? Okay. I'm serious. Okay.
0: Amy Klobuchar was born in 1960. She has a bachelor's degree in political science from Yale. She got that in 1982. You'll notice there are a lot of political science majors Mm -hmm. in this list. So if you want to be president.
1: I do not want to be president. Okay. Still (laughs) should
0: minor in political science. I don't care if you only have a semester left. Okay. And uh, she got her J.D in 1985 from the University of Chicago okay there are a lot of lawyers on this list too by the way
1: and they're representing Chicago so yeah we have that. a couple
0: of Chicago reps here Ooh. okay so she had a career in corporate law before okay. she became the Hennepin County attorney from 1999 to 2007 she's from Minnesota
1: oh okay
0: yeah so she was elected to the US Senate <laughs> Um, and has served from 2007 to the present. That was not a
1: jab in Minnesota. No. Yeah, that's, I, I,
0: I don't know where Hennepin <laughs> County either is, except I know that she's from Minnesota, so it has to be there. Okay, she does not have very much on her candidate website about her positions, but she wants to stand with U.S. allies. Okay. Respect frontline troops, diplomats, and intelligence officers. Uh, so to, to do this by investing in diplomacy and rebuilding the State Department modernizing the U.S. military to stay ahead of China and Russia and invest in cybersecurity.
1: I feel like the U.S. pours a lot of money into its military, huh. like a stupid amount.
0: It, I think it's 35 cents of every dollar spent on military stuff is spent by the United States. Oh, my. Yeah. That's a lot. It's like more than the next 10 countries combined. So we need to pour more money into it. So the, qu- I mean, the question is, where is that? What is that money going for? It's not going for soldier salaries.
1: No. Uh, is it the technology then, or is because modernized can be a, a whole? Sort yeah. Of so way. that's
0: what they're saying is to upgrade technology. The other thing though is that the defense bill is a massive jobs bill. What do you mean? In the sense that a lot of defense contractors have spread their operations throughout the country, and so when you when the navy orders a submarine that submarine is produced in factories spread across the United States so it might be like six congressional districts that have people okay. working on that submarine okay and and a funny story is uh, a, a former student of mine was looking at military budgets and the this is when Obama I think was in office and he his administration asked for one i think it's seahawk submarine And Congress wanted two. Oh. So the compromise was one and a half.
1: Wait, what?
0: (laughs) Now, I don't want to go underwater in half a submarine. (laughs) But what's the point? If you order half a submarine, you need half the parts. And so those congressional, those factories in those congressional districts get orders for parts.
1: Oh, I see.
0: So that's the question, right? What is the money being spent on? If it's being spent, efficiently uh, on things that the military needs and wants and you know isn't just ways to keep people employed in congressional districts across the country then you could make that i mean the new the u.s nuclear arsenal takes a lot of money to uphold to withhold um maintain Mm -hmm. so i mean there are a lot of things that are expensive the question is is all that stuff needed
1: I don't think so. But.
0: It depends what you want to accomplish in the world.
1: This is true. But at the same time, I think just giving jobs just for the sake of giving jobs, rather than if they're just needed, I don't think that's.
0: Try ever- to convince a congressman to vote against jobs in his district, though.
1: I don't think that's going to be possible. Right. Yeah. This is
0: why, in I think 1992 they moved so there's this commission called the BRAC commission it's base realignment and closures and it's their job to look at where you know the where military personnel are stationed throughout the United States the okay. different bases in the United States and it's up to them to determine if bases need to close and the operations at those bases moved somewhere else okay and in 1992 that moved to a nonpartisan position commission because congress people could not make the decision because no one is going to vote to close a base in their district okay and so they had to have this non-political commission decide which bases stayed open and which base is closed because congress couldn't do that i don't think we're going to be able to do that for the military budget though
1: Hey, they always gotta, you always gotta be looking out for your constituents, right?
0: That's exactly what they're doing.
1: Well, hey, it'd be like that sometimes, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, our next candidate is Elizabeth Warren. She was, sounds fun. She was born in 1949. She has the most to say about everything, uh, so her her part might be a little a little long here. Uh, she received a bachelor of science in speech speech pathology and audiology. In 1970 from the University of Houston. She Uh wanted to be a special education teacher. Okay. Then she got her JD, her law degree in 1976 from Rutgers Law School. Another one. She has specialized in bankruptcy and commercial law throughout her career. She's been a professor at various universities and law or various law schools, including Rutgers Law School, University of Houston Law School, University of Texas Law School, University of Pennsylvania. And most recently, Harvard, where she uh, was on the faculty until 2003, at which point she became the. US. Senator from Massachusetts. That's okay, a,
1: that's a big CV.
0: Yes. And we could talk about controversies with that CV, but Ooh. we're not going to do it because we we're talking foreign <laughs> policy, darn it. All right, so here's, here's, here's the summary of, of her position. So she wants to leverage all the tools of national power, not just military might. Foreign policy should not be run exclusively by the Pentagon and the Department of Defense. She wants to reinvest in diplomacy and recommit to multilateralism. She wants to stand with partners and allies to advance shared interests. She wants to push back on disinformation and other efforts to undermine free and open societies and invest in new technologies and solutions to new global challenges from cybersecurity to climate change. So that's kind of the general. Okay. And then I have two pages of more specifics. Oh. Because you know that like the informal slogan of the Warren campaign is, I've got a plan for that. Right? (laughs) And so everything is... It's very detailed. So I'll just, I'll I'll summarize. She wants to bring the troops home from these foreign entanglements, ban defense contractors from hiring senior DOD officials, and require contractors to identify who works for them who used to work for the Department of Defense. Oh, okay. She wants to ban all senior defense officials from owning or trading stock in any of the Defense contractors, right? She wants to make it illegal for former national security officials to work for and get paid by foreign governments. Okay. And defense contractors should provide more transparency on their lobbying activities, including who who they meet with, what they're talking about, and what kind of information they're sharing.
1: So she wants a lot of transparency with... The Department of Defense. I
0: mean, then. that's kind of her thing, is uh-huh. that she wants – She's she thinks that kind of big corporations and their political allies are robbing the American people. And, you know, that people talk about – I mean, President Eisenhower back in the 50s warned against the military-industrial complex, right? And it's this, this idea that defense contractors, you know, the, the bureaucrats in the Defense Department – that they're going to conspire to, now there's been no proof that they've conspired to get the United States into any kind of war, but certainly to keep defense spending high. And and she has a lot of domestic policy programs, and she thinks paying for those, oh. part of that is going to come from having a smarter defense budget. I see, okay. Yeah. I mean, not totally, but that that's one of her things. Okay, in diplomacy, she wants to double the size of the Foreign Service and open new diplomatic posts in underserved areas she wants to prioritize what the foreign service does she wants to recruit a new generation of foreign service officers she wants to establish a diplomatic equivalent of the ROTC program at universities so I think that would actually be kind of cool you would go to university and be in like the junior diplomat corps
1: but would it be still in the United States or
0: well so you would do the university degree in the United States but then one, if you you know like after you're done with ROTC you can become an officer in the military mm-hmm. I guess this would mean after you do the ROTC equivalent in the foreign in the um, diplomatic sense that you would be able to become a Foreign Service officer
1: okay I thought I meant like have the ROTC in a different country no no that, no no, okay. no so this okay, is yeah. so
0: this so she's saying like you know we have these ROTC for the military let's mm. have something like it for diplomats let's okay. get them started in college and then uh, when they get out of that program so in they're, college they're ready to go off into the world and represent the United States Okay. that's interesting yeah okay. she wants to double the size of the Peace Corps increase funding for scholarships for critically important languages
1: so I've I actually, really like that. Okay, because um, I think America has their education as some kind of backwards where we start uh, teaching students foreign languages in middle school. Yeah, but in Ghana, we started right in yeah. elementary school, like Montessori school. We were learning English. Well, English was my first language, and then Ga, and then chui like some of the tribal languages sure. around, and then you know colonialism, French as well. Right. Um, but yeah, we started really early on, yeah. and so it was our stick. But when I came over here. Nah. Yeah, no. So I think that's a really we good idea. That. Yeah, that's a really good idea.
0: She also wants to increase. So the State Department has a commitment to making its foreign service, foreign service officers look like America, mm-hmm. but, and they've made progress on that. But there's still a lack of diversity in the diplomatic corps. So she wants to dedicate recruiting resources to applicants from HBCUs and other minority-serving institutions, women's colleges, and community colleges. Mm-hmm. UIC is a minority-serving institution, so that would be more resources for us. Mm -hmm. Oh, and not let people buy their ambassadorships.
1: Oh, really? That's a thing? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Wait. Have you been following this impeachment inquiry?
1: (laughs) It's been on every news channel. Yeah. And I turn it off. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay,
0: so one of the things is the guy who – have you heard the name Gordon Sondland? Actually have. Yeah. So he is the U.S. ambassador to the E.U., and his qualifications for being the ambassador to the EU was that he gave a million dollars to the Trump inaugural committee. Oh, so he made a million dollar donation and he was appointed ambassador to the European Union. Now, President Obama gave a point uh, ambassadorships to donors it's president like, bush did president clinton did this yeah. is not new with trump but elizabeth warren is saying no we're not doing this
1: but i thought that if you that was just like kind of an assumed thing that if you ever worked with a presidential candidate whether that's on the campaign uh, i didn't know about the donor part but i thought that if you did work with them that it's kind of expected that you would get a position
0: I mean it depends not everybody who can work on a campaign ends up getting a job in the White House yeah but there there tends to be a lot of the the top people from the campaign do make that yeah. um, but I mean so okay so if you are an international business you know if you've had an international business and you're now retired mm-hmm. and you volunteer on a campaign and then get an ambassadorship you know maybe that's one thing because you have qualifications. Mm-hmm. If you're a rich real estate developer who gives a million bucks to the inaugural campaign and then, like, here, go to one of our top allies in the world and represent U.S. interests. right? That's what they're, you know. And, And so it's always this joke that career foreign service officers, many of whom become ambassadors, never become ambassadors to the U.K., France, Italy. These are all positions that are kind of reserved for... Rich donors. Okay. So they become ambassadors to Ghana. Okay. Bolivia. Suriname. Right. And, you know, maybe. So so this is the thing is that the people, what Warren is saying is that the people who are representing the United States at the highest level Mm -hmm. should actually be qualified to do so. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm with it. Okay. The last thing I want to say about her is her position on trade. She thinks that workers should be represented at the negotiating table when negotiating trade agreements. And she thinks that trade agreements should work to strengthen labor standards worldwide. And she also wants to uh, use antitrust law against powerful multinational corporations to make sure that they are not taking over the world. And she wants to make sure that businesses and wealthy people can't hide their money in international tax havens <laughs> and therefore get out of paying US taxes.
1: That, that's a shout at Amazon right there.
0: Well, and Microsoft and Google and you know, you name it. Facebook. I mean, these are modern-day monopolies. Yeah. And they sell your data. Okay. <laughs> We're going to just keep going. Yeah. The next our next person is Joe Biden. Born in 1942, <laughs> bachelor's degree in history and political science from the University of Delaware, a JD from Syracuse University Law School. He served on a county council. Then he represented Delaware in the U.S. Senate <laughs> for 35 years. This
1: has been around.
0: He's been around. He was vice president under President Obama for eight years. Mm-hmm. And people talk about Joe Biden and his electability, but he has run for president twice before now mm-hmm. and was not successful in either of those runs. I feel like he feels
1: really confident,
0: this one. You know, I, he I think he. D- so one one note that I made mm-hmm. in my when I was watching the debate. Was that that Biden talks about like he's the one that Trump is scared of. Right. With the whole inquiry thing. He's the one who has the most experience. He's Mm -hmm. the one that can beat Trump. And you would think that that is a good argument. Mm -hmm. But he sounded so defeatist as he was saying it. Like, he doesn't have a lot of... He doesn't engender a lot of enthusiasm, Okay, right? So he's a guy with experience. But I don't know how many people are, like, super excited to vote for biden
1: oh i can see that you know yeah i can see that
0: but he is leading in all of the nationwide polls so far still really yeah not in individual states but nationwide he's number one he's at the the top okay by depending on the poll four to 15 points okay yeah (laughs) okay biden he wants to repair relationships with allies and stand up to, and I quote, strongmen and thugs oh, yeah. on the global <laughs> stage. And he wants to rally with allies to meet the world's changes. He, The United States needs to reclaim its longstanding position as a, the moral and economic leader of the world. He wants to fight for American values. Which are? inclusivity, tolerance, diversity, respect for the rule of law, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of religion. Okay. Reaffirm and reform the alliances and institutions. Oh, he's talking a lot about alliances. And invest in and strengthen all elements of U.S. power, military, diplomacy, economic, education, science, and technology. He just covered all his bases. Right. (laughs) Modernize (laughs) the military and only deploy American troops when it is in the U.S.'s vital national security interest. That's like
1: he, he's just trying to cover i feel i feel like this goes back to the point of like oh i'm gonna dream big and then not not what i'm trying to say he's gonna he's gonna try and dream big but not fulfill all his promises see i yeah. don't
0: i disagree with that i don't think this is a dream big i really? think this is you know
1: <laughs> for me it seems like he's saying oh, i'm gonna do this for defense i'm gonna give you a little bit for education i'm gonna give you a little bit for whatever sure
0: but i mean i think what he's saying is like we need to go back to what we used to do okay that's what this sounds like to me okay we need to go back to what we were normally doing and just be better at it because we know we can do that and we're not gonna i don't know (laughs) all right our final our final candidate That we're going to talk about and i'm sorry we're not going to get to cory booker today even though i love him (laughs) he's not my top person but i still he somehow inspires me but here's our other chicago connection bernie Bernie sanders Sanders. born in 1941 he has a bachelor's degree in political science from (laughs) the university of chicago
1: the university of chicago
0: so both he and Amy Klobuchar have degrees. He has his bachelor's degree from Chicago. She has her J D from Chicago. Mm. So after college, he held a variety of jobs, including carpenter, writer, and filmmaker. Yes, make the bills. Yep. Yeah. He was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Vermont only has one seat in the House of Representatives. He held that seat for because a while. There's
1: no one in Vermont. That's
0: right. <laughs> he has been the u.s senator from vermont since 2007 and he ran unsuccessfully for president in 2016. i also want to point out that bernie sanders is actually not a democrat
1: he's
0: like he's an independent who describes himself as a socialist though he caucuses with the democrats in the senate so why in both 2016 and 2020 he is allowed to run in the democratic primary i'm not quite so sure but – because he's not a Democrat.
1: But people want the Bernie.
0: People want the Bernie. Let him run as a third-party candidate. I but, don't know. Uh,
1: but then uh, – I've beef with third-party candidates, too.
0: Well, they tend to screw things up. Right? For, yes. Although, it, it, without a third-party candidate, I don't think uh, Bill Clinton wins the 93 – or 92 election. Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> okay. All right. So his positions are – The U.S. must lead the world in improving international cooperation in the fight against climate change, militarism, authoritarianism and global inequality. He wants a foreign policy that focuses on democracy, human rights, diplomacy and peace and economic fairness. He wants Congress to reassert its role in war making so that no president can wage unauthorized and unconstitutional interventions overseas. So that was kind of like Buttigieg. Same thing, and Congress needs to uh, reassert its authority over the use of force to responsibly end the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. He wants to end U.S. support for the Saudi-led intervention in Yemen, which has created the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe. He wants to rejoin the Iran nuclear agreement and talk to Iran on a range of other issues. And work with pro democracy forces around the world to build societies that work for and protect all people.
1: Bernie Sanders sounds like the grandpa you would want to like sit on your lap and like just tell me a story,
0: <laughs> right? But he might like blast your ear off. He's really loud. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of there's not a whole lot of like if we brought in Tulsi Gabbard into this list, like she has a very different idea of how U.S. foreign policy sh- should run. She does not think that. The way that the U.S. has conducted foreign policy is appropriate. She basically wants to blow up the whole foreign policy system and and start again. She's also been accused of being a Russian agent. So I Whoa. don't, I you know I don't know about that. But uh, she definitely and it's certainly in the November de- debate. She was talking very seriously about how you know the way foreign policy is run in the united states is problematic and needs to be kind of blown up figuratively
1: is she a presidential candidate
0: she is oh she's from hawaii hawaii hawaii
1: oh i've not heard her name my goodness
0: come on you need to when they're talking about politics <laughs> on tv you gotta <laughs> keep the tv on
1: now nah, when it so i entered the wgen station and whenever they have the impeachment things going on i just bring it down because it was going on for a solid week two
0: weeks Oh, it's still going on. Oh, my goodness. The Judiciary Committee is now going to call witnesses. So we had, we had the Intelligence Committee have all those witnesses. Then they're going to give a report to the Judiciary Committee whose job it is to actually write the articles of impeachment. So the Judiciary Committee is also calling witnesses. When does this end? Well, the expert, I mean, they keep saying that they're going to have the articles of impeachment to the Senate or to vote on by Christmas. But then, but then the trial, if they vote yes to impeach, then there's going to be a trial in the Senate, which will last at least two weeks. This is frustrating. This is the democracy. This is democracy in action. It's constitutionally provisioned. Okay. Yes. Michael. Yes. I very much enjoyed talking to you today.
1: And I very much en- enjoyed being on the show
0: fantastic we are out of time are we we are and we're probably (laughs) running into our colleagues show as well so i'm gonna have to wrap up today i want to thank everyone for joining me in the politics classroom don't forget that the next debate is on thursday december 19th please join me next tuesday in the politics classroom from 4 to 5 p.m when i will talk with uic history professor laura hostetler who is a china expert And we're going to talk about a whole slew of topics relating to China's place in the world. So as always, if there are any topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please send me a message on Twitter at Dr. Floros. You've been listening to the Politics Classroom on UIC Radio, where music and culture ignite. Ignite. (laughs) That's all I've got for this week. I'm Professor Floros. Class dismissed.